How are y'all tonight? Are you good? Well, let me just tell you, this uh, jet lag thing for me lasts a good week. And uh, so tomorrow is the seventh day. And, uh, but I don't know about you, but if you've ever traveled as far, you know, like this, uh, you want to fall asleep at about six o'clock every night. And uh, so, you know, we've we been, we make it to 7.30 on a good day. I'll tell you that's in 35 minutes. So these brain cells are going to probably shut off in about 35 minutes. So if I'm walking here, then all of a sudden I go, you'll know why. In fact, during that prayer, I started to feel it just start to float away a little bit. So let's all pray for me. Okay. Are you guys still falling asleep early? No? You too. Bill and Charlene. Stand up, Bill and Charlene. They are, stand up, stand up. You are amazing. You are amazing. Uh, These two went with us all the way over to the other side of America. Okay, I can't preach down here if the lights don't come up. There we go. I was waiting for that so I could see my my notes. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. I'm already falling asleep, I think. (sighs) Isn't that terrible? Anyway, they were fantastic, and uh, they just and you guys are back at it, and I'm still I'm still trying to figure it all out. So anyway, uh, but let's get get into the word. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was here on Saturday night, I uh, preached to you about uh, light. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? Sort of, kind of, maybe. Okay, so you might want to go on uh, our app if you have a smartphone and uh, listen, download some of these, uh, some of the sermons. You know, we're going to do different things on Saturday night now than on Sunday morning. So if you come on Saturday night, you need to listen to the 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 sermon on Sunday. But you know, on the on the app or whatever. But if you come on Sunday, make sure you listen to Saturday night because it's going to be really fun what we're going to do. But we talked about light the last time, and we talked about how. You are the light of the world, and we talked about how the Lord is inside of you wanting to illuminate outside of you uh, to the world about his goodness and greatness. Amen? And we talked about the fact that, uh, we talked about the the parable of the five uh, virgins, or ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. The five who were wise had enough oil in their lamps to last and to be ready for the bridegroom and all that. And then there was five that weren't wise. They weren't prepared. They didn't have enough oil. And when it came time for the bridegroom to to come and they were supposed to light up their lamps and lead the procession and lead all of the community to the, the wedding feast, they didn't have enough oil. So what did they do? They went to the other girls and said, please, please, can I borrow from you? And they said, no, I'm sorry. You, this oil is not to be borrowed or shared. You need to go and buy your own. You need to go buy your own. You need to have it in you. And uh, that oil represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the Word of God. Uh, their lamps uh, represented so much. And uh, so the whole point is that as you are the light of the world, it's very, very important that you be prepared, that you be filled up with the Holy Spirit, that you be filled with oil, and that your wick is trimmed so that when your time to shine comes, you can shine. Who wants to shine? Oh, I want to shine. I want to shine. When I have the opportunity to shine, I want to have the words to shine. I want to have, you know. And so we're, um, I'm going to go ahead and start a series now that is going to hopefully fill you up with the ability to shine. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through, um, actually we decided, Dwayne and I were talking this week, we decided we're going to start at the beginning. Why not? Why not? So we're going to start at the beginning, which is Genesis, and uh, we're going to give you guys just kind of a line upon line of uh, precept upon precept, good foundation of what the Word says. What is this whole God thing about so that you can have a treasure inside of you and so that you can shine your light out in the world and you know what you're talking about? How many of you have ever talked to somebody and they, they think they know everything, but they kind of don't? How annoying is that? Okay, so I want you, whenever you have an opportunity to shine or to talk to someone about the Lord or, or to share your witness, I want you to know what you're talking about. And I want them to be able to say, hey, what church do you go to? New Horizon, and we're proud of the fact that you go to New Horizon because you got the word in you, amen? So uh, this, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start with the book of Genesis, all right? So let's get started. 
little bit of little bit of background there. Uh, let's get started. Two truths and a lie. Have you ever played that game? Two truths and a lie. Okay, I'm going to give you two truths and a lie. You got to pick which one's which. Okay. I have ridden on an elephant. I have swam with turtles. I have ridden on an ostrich. Which one? The ostrich is the false. You're right. You're right. How, how, I don't think you can ride an ostrich, can you? Okay, well, I have not. So uh, that's, that's the lie. So much of life is figuring out what's truth and what's a lie. Truth and lie. Truth is a verifiable, disreputable fact. Truth. Many things can be said, but not all things that are said are true. And in this life, in this, in this whole, uh, you know, marching through from birth to death and to figuring this whole thing out, you have got to know what's truth and what's not. Amen? Humanity loves truth and it hates falsehood, no matter what culture you're in. We're all seeking truth. So what are we supposed to do about this truth thing? If, this, if truth is out there, how do I get it? How do I know it's true? Well, there's certain things that you can know are true. Two plus two is four, no matter what you think. Right? Six divided by three is two, no matter what you think, because it's kind of true. Okay? So there's some things that are absolute absolute truth that you can prove it and there's no doubt about it and you know your math teacher knows what's true whether you think it's true or not as you're doing your math my son likes to do his math and he's just sure he's got it right and his teacher's like "Mm, no but he thought it was right but you know bottom line is it's either right or wrong when you're in math right Okay, there's other things. Vast majority of the rest of life, though, is not quite so cut and dried. The rest of life, in so many ways, there's always an... It's, it's just not quite always 100% for sure. So there's some things that you can know absolutely for sure, and there's, there's other things that are, there's going to be an element of uncertainty about. If you are 100% absolutely sure, absolutely sure, there's, then there's very little uncertainty or no uncertainty, so there's no room for doubt. It's all true. But then there's other things that, well, what if? And so you could say, well, I know like 75%, you know, I'm almost sure about that, but that leaves a little bit of uncertainty. Whenever there's a little bit of uncertainty, then there's room for doubt. Then there's other things that you would say, I, it, might, it might be true. That has a smaller amount of certainty and a larger amount of uncertainty and more room for doubt. Does that make sense? There's other things then that you can be maybe sure about. You have that much certainty and that much uncertainty. And that much room for doubt. There's things that you really don't know for sure, and there's tons of room for doubt. Does that make sense? Everyone has to determine what is truth. And no matter how much is absolute and how much is uncertain and how much room for doubt is, eventually you have to look at that thing and go, okay, that is That is true. And then you have to deal with the uncertainty and the doubt in different ways. But there's this point where you have to jump all in. Or you're going to walk around for the rest of your life going, "Eh, eh," you know, in all of this doubt and unbelief and uncertainty, and you're not going to know. Even when it comes to learning 2 plus 2, I'm looking here at Zach. You teach young children all day long. And you're trying to get truth in them. 
And I'm sure that there comes that time when the light bulb turns on and they jump in. Oh, that's right. Two plus two really is four. Okay, I'll work with that. I can go there. Right? So you have to, you have to eventually, no matter how much certainty or how much uncertainty there is, there does come a time where you have to decide, that's what I believe. Amen? So the question is then, what do you do about the uncertainty of life? Well, let me tell you something. When it comes to spiritual things, what you believe about God, whether there is a God or there isn't a God, what you believe cannot be proven. It cannot be proven. It cannot be known for a hundred percent sure, scientifically proven, repeatable, all of that kind of thing. Spiritual things and the concept of God is something that falls into a different category where there is always a little bit of uncertainty. There's stuff that you just, you just, God is God. This whole spiritual thing is outside of our realm. But we kind of know it's there and we feel it and we, you know, do you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't go out and look at Mount Rainier today and think nothing of that. It moves your soul. Every human feels this draw towards something bigger and greater than they are. But it's not something we can reach out and touch and look and see and drive to. Because it's spiritual. So it can't be proven. Therefore, scientifically, all of that, you cannot have 100% certainty. It is something that you take what you know and you learn more about it and it becomes very real to you and there is an eventual spot. And every single one of us came to that point where we jumped in and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for this thing. Do you all remember that day? And you said, I'm in. And then the rest of your spiritual walk is spent standing on what is absolute, dealing with the uncertainties, and having faith. Everybody say faith. 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 Okay. So the three biggest questions that we have to answer spiritually are... Number one, where did I come from? Number two, who am, why am I here and where am I going? Those are the three biggies. Those are the three biggies that every human being asks at some point in their life. Have you ever asked that or wondered that? Yeah, because they're, they're innate inside of us. And what you end up coming up with with these questions completely forms your worldview. Your worldview is how you look at life. So now this time I'm going to give you two lies and a truth. Because when it comes to spiritual things, there can only be one truth. Amen? So this time I'm going to give you two lies and a truth, and you get to pick. Okay, ready? Number one, and this is, this is, this is, some, some people believe this. This is truth to some people. Okay? You get to pick which one is truth for you. Number one. Man is the result of a purposeless, natural process that, um, sorry, didn't have him in mind. He was not planned. He is a state of matter, a form of life, a sort of animal, and a species in the order of primate akin nearly to remotely all of life. So that answer there says, where did I come from? I came from an accident. Why am I here? Absolutely no reason. Where am I going? Who knows? That is an answer to those three questions that many, many, many people believe to be true in this world. Number two, God is eternity and eternal. Everything is God, therefore, I am God. If we are God enough, 
Our redemption then is in our own hands. Who am I? I am God. Why am I here? To become more and more like God. Where am I going? I'm going to become the biggest God I can. That's what a lot of people believe. That's what a lot of people believe. Now I'm going to present you with a third option. Two lies and a truth. You get to pick. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And every creature that moves, man is a purposeful birthing from the very creative one that is an, uh, of an all-powerful God. So this answer is, where did I come from? I came from the very creative source of God, me. He made me. He made me. The God of the universe had a problem and he made me. He wrapped it around that problem because I was the solution to that. Why am I here? To do the will of the Father. To do the purpose that I was made for. Where am I going? I am going to spend eternity with my heavenly Father. Those are three different worldviews that many, many, many people across the world espouse to one of those three, especially here in America. My question to you is, is which one is right? There you go. Good answer. That's right. That was right. I was really hoping you'd answer that one. None of these can be proven. I cannot put it in a test tube and come out with the answer. Every single one of those, eventually, those people, you included, have to pick one and then jump in and believe in faith. Do you see what I'm saying? Every single one of them have an argument against it, an uncertainty that can be spoken and spoken and brought up, and you're going to have to deal, if whichever one you choose, you're going to have to deal with the doubt that comes with that certain line of thought. Faith. Doubt. You have to decide which one of these is the most self-evidencing, the most reliable, the most, has the most relevance, has the, is the most consistent, has the most power to convert, has the most personal um, feeling within you that says this is truth. And then you jump. I will say to you that Christianity, I believe, carries the truth. The third one. It answers so much. So going on the premise that we're going to go with the third one, that we all here have decided that Christianity, that the God of the Bible is the true one true God, it's considering that that is what we are deciding, what we are choosing, what, that that is now truth for us. And I'm going to make that leap because we're in church. We're not in a university and I'm not teaching you, you know, this is, you came here for a certain reason, right? So we're going to go from this standpoint that you've picked number three to be the truth, right? So I want you, over the next weeks and however long we go, I know that every single one of you deal with the uncertainty of our faith. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're amazing. Maybe you're incredible. Maybe you're way better than me. But I know for a fact that 
okay, maybe not a fact, but it's very certain to me that there's, because I know there is an element of doubt and uncertainty with every single one of these. And Christianity has an element of uncertainty. And there are many, many voices out there and many, many uh, lines of thought and reason and logic that speak very loudly that want to plant inside of you doubt and unbelief. I know it's there. And the best thing we as Christians can do is to look at the fact of doubt and not be afraid of it. Jesus, God is not afraid of doubt. Did you know that? Doubt is not a bad thing in some respects. Let me just talk to you right now. I'm not going weird on this because I know how much scripture is said that says, you know, don't doubt. Okay. I understand that. But if you are looking at your faith, and there's areas of your faith that kind of make you go, what? I don't get that. What if? And what about? Well, I'm just going to believe. Cool. You made the jump. You're bought in. But that doesn't mean we can't go back to the things that are our question and seek more knowledge. I like to put it this way. I no longer doubt that there is a God. My doubt right now is centered more in what I don't know about him, what I haven't discovered about him yet, what revelation I have not gotten yet. Does that make sense? So what I want to do over the next weeks and however long we go is to begin to present to you more and more information, more and more knowledge, more and more meat that you can sink your teeth into that can address some of these things that you're not understanding that is bringing doubt to you. All right? So let's start at the beginning. Let's start at Genesis. Everybody open your Bible to Genesis. Now, some people say the thing that's in your hand is antiquated and has no, no meaning and that it's, that it's uh, not truth and all of that kind of thing. I will say to you, and I will hopefully show you over the next weeks and, and such, that it is something that you can stand on and believe in. That the very thing that you're holding there is a document that actually proves itself time and time and time again for its authenticity. But you might not know that. And so if somebody comes to you and brings doubt about what, you know, you need to know the facts. Amen? Amen. So we're going to give you more and more and more of this, okay? So Genesis, before we start reading uh, at Genesis 1-1, because that's where we're going to start. We've got to get all the way to Revelation, so we better hurry up, don't you think? But before we get started, let me give you a little bit of um, background, okay? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Anybody know? Well, that was good. How about the rest of you? Does anybody know where, who wrote the book of Moses? I mean, the book of Genesis. <laughs> who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Did y'all know that? Who didn't know that? See there, we already gave some information that people didn't know. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. What year did he write it in? Anybody know? What year? No, not one. He wasn't alive in, in the year one. <laughs> he wrote it between, somewhere between, it's believed, 1450 B.C. and 1410 B.C. Is that what you said back there? Close, not quite. 14, oh, now, I, it's a little, a little off. You know, it can't be absolutely per, you know, particular because back in those days they didn't keep a calendar and they didn't keep diaries. And uh, they had no computer to write things down. But basically, he wrote the book of Genesis during their 40-year traipsy around the desert. So while they're doing that, he's writing. I don't know how he did that. So he must have had a little iPad or something. And, you know, where everything stopped, he would type, no, okay. Okay, maybe not. (laughs) Stone pad. Stone pad. I like that. So he wrote the book of Genesis during that time. Now, the interesting thing is, is that when he wrote the book of Genesis, he started at creation. So the question is, in my mind, 
If he wrote it in 1450 BC, and he's writing about an event that happened anywhere between, they're thinking, 12,000 BC. This is, this is creationists talking. Because if you talk to evolutionists, they would say that the beginning of the earth was billions and billions of years ago. And, but we don't believe that stuff. We believe biblical creationism. And uh, scholars have placed creation any, anywhere at 10,000 BC to 8,000 to around 6,000. Some of them placed at about 4,000 BC. Okay? So right in there. So Moses is writing about something that happened thousands of years before he lived. How did he do that? Revelation. But it was more than that. Okay, so go back to think just I'm stretching your brain. Just follow me for about five minutes. Then we'll get back to to in the beginning. Uh, Go back to Adam and Eve. So God created the earth. No one was present when he created. No human. Humans came on day six. Right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had two kids, right? Who were his fir- their first kids? Cain and Abel. Problems arose and Cain killed. So now we only have one, right? We have a problem. And Cain was banished. Then Adam and Eve had more children. How many of you know who the next child is? Don't say if you, don't, if you know it already. Who is it? Seth. Seth. And then they had more children. So all of those kids, can you imagine having a family reunion with, with who you got going on now? You got Adam and Eve. You got Cain out running around. You got Seth and a whole bunch of kids. And then they all start having kids. Okay, so what happens at the family reunions when everybody gets together? They tell stories. Grandpa Adam, tell me about the first days when you were created. And so Adam would pull his little grandkids around and he would tell the story. Well, after a while, Adam died. Actually, it was like 800 years. But, uh, you know, eventually he dies, right? So then Adam's sons have sons who have sons. And they're all getting together. And they all gather up. And when they get together, what do they do? Tell stories. Grandpa Seth, what was it like? Tell me about great-grandpa Adam. And they tell stories. And they tell genealogies. And they tell all sorts of things. Well, as the, as the generations go, some of them remain godly, but a lot of them remain, go ungodly. And the nations become very ungodly. I'm giving you quick overview we're going to go into these really good when we get there it's going to be really interesting but they turn very ungodly and what happens god has to clean house right anyway so through all this oral tradition generation to generation to generation over hundreds and thousands of years lots of stories now are told about the creation of the world Lots of these people form nations, and lots of these nations become pagan, but they're still telling the same story. If you go in and you you do a lot of study archaeologically, all these nations have very similar stories about how the world was created. They all have very similar stories. They have a very similar storyline. Now, what is interpreted that when, Ad, or when Moses writes his, and it sounds a lot like all these pagan countries and these pagan stories, a lot of the historians look at Moses' and go, oh, he's just taking it from the pagans. But what if it's the opposite? He's telling it the pure way, and all the others are just coming from the same story Twisted. Kind of an idea. Many many archaeological people and historical people, when they read the Genesis account and they compare it to all these other pagan accounts of the beginning of creation, 
many, whether they're godly or not, have pegged the creation account by Moses as being the most pure. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So when we read this, we're reading from a man who wrote it in 1400 BC, thousands of years since before the, you know, after the actual event. But there is a divine touch on his words that are not found in any other creation account. And it's revered as such. So let's look at it. I want you to see that you can believe these words. I want you to see where they came from. I want you to understand who wrote them and and how he wrote them. I want you to see that when he wrote these words and they are divinely inspired and there's a clarity and a purity that is in this account, biblical account, that godly and ungodly scholars look at it and give it validity. I want you to see that validity too. I want you to have confidence in what you're reading. Does that help you? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no room for any uncertainty in those 10 words. Do you hear any uncertainty? None. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no uncertainty. None. There is an authoritative statement there that says a whole bunch of things. And it is said in such authority that this is a hint of how he wants you to look at it and you to stand on that and for you to believe in it. That doesn't sound much like once upon a time... There was a little God who who said maybe, no, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so let's break it down. In the beginning, beginning, in the beginning, the word beginning means The first event ever. The beginning of the first event ever. Not just the beginning of something. Like as in we have the beginning of a baseball game and we have the beginning of soccer and the beginning of school. It's just another thing. The beginning of another thing. The word there means the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. It was the first thing that ever happened. It's the beginning of the first thing. It's like... Nothing was before. So this is the beginning. It's a deep word. Okay? In the beginning, God. The word God there is Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim. You got to get that in there. Oh, boy. You got to spit and hack and do all sorts of things if you're going to talk Hebrew here. Elohim. Let's talk about the word Elohim. Now, I am not the biggest Bible scholar, but I've been doing a lot of reading, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around the word Elohim. It's a very interesting word. It is a plural word. Plural. And it confuses a lot of people because they begin to think, does that mean that there's more than one God? Okay, so I'm just going to talk, and I hope this makes sense. Elohim. It's plural. It intimates... Vast amounts of power. It intimates vast amounts of majesty. It intimates plural in many things. More than one power, all the powers. 
more than one majesty, all the majesties. He is the God of all. He's the king of all and the Lord of all. There's a plural, plural, plurality to the word Elohim. And it's very, very interesting that God would use this to name himself the very first. This is the first instance that God calls himself a name, Elohim. And it opens the door for the idea of the Trinity. We know that, more, that, that, um, that God was there at the beginning, God the Father. We also know that God the Son, Jesus, was there. How do we know that? Turn over to John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1. 1, 1. Go ahead and throw it up there so I don't have to take time digging in my Bible. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning. That's the same word for the beginning in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. What? The word. The word is logos there. The word logos means written word, but it also means thought and mind. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, and then now the next verse. He was with God in the beginning. Go to th- four, three, verse three. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Go to verse four. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Go to verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now we begin to see that he's talking about Jesus coming to earth, being the light of men, bringing life. Jesus was in the beginning, and all things were made through the word. Now, Jesus didn't have a body because bodies hadn't been invented yet. He was the word, but he was there. We also know from Proverbs uh, chapters 8, who else was at, at creation? Wisdom. Wisdom was the craftsman by his side as he was. So there was many things there. Elohim, plural, yet one. If you were to ask a Jew, is Elohim one or many, he would say both. One or many, both. Is it plural or singular? Both. The way they can say that it's singular is that they were so unified, they were so harmonized, they were so one that you couldn't tell them apart. You couldn't separate them. But the Trinity was intimated through Moses, and he had no idea. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Once again, it's a gutsy statement. Once again, it's authoritative. It leaves no room for anything else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have to ask you people, what are you going to do with that statement? What are you going to do with this truth? There's no scientific proof, but I will tell you right now that there's so much scientific evidence that points to an immediate and explosive beginning to this universe. There is more and more and more scientific evidence that says that nothing else could have made this universe except for an intelligent mind behind it. But we can't prove it. So there's always an element of uncertainty. And I have to ask you, what do you do with that? And what do you do with that doubt? Turn over to John 20, and we will close here in just a moment. I'm close to being done. Thank you for listening. Are you learning? Are you thinking? John 20. God is not afraid of your doubt. 
God is not afraid of your doubt. God is not afraid of your uncertainties. John 20. We're going to start now at verse 24. Jesus is, the whole life of Jesus caused everybody to go, what? And he called them to believe, and they're like, what? you got to believe. And, and then he would do a big, you know, miracle, and then everybody's like, oh, wow. And then there were still people who wouldn't believe. There was still doubt and uncertainty. Are you the God? Are you, are you the son of God? So much. Jesus was ruffling so many feathers. And then he goes and dies on a cross. And then he rises again. And then he starts, you know, appearing to people. Well, there was one disciple in particular that I want to read about. His name's Thomas. Otherwise known as Doubting Thomas. So what did Jesus think of that? Did Jesus get ticked off at him and go, well, if you haven't figured it out by now, and you've watched everything I've done, and you still doubt, get away. You know, he never did that. Look at what he did. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the uh, other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. Once again, I mean, Jesus just was messing with everybody's brain. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I need proof. I need to know this thing. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, now do you understand that the doors are locked and all of a sudden he's there. He says, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. In other words, make that jump. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. Blessed. I've often thought, oh, man, would I have been Thomas? What would I have done? Would I have been one of the, you know, the, the disciples that went, yay, he's alive, I believe, I believe. Or would I have gone, I need to see this thing. What would I have done? I think, personally, I'm just be really honest with you, I probably would have been on Thomas's little bandwagon there. I want to see it. i got to see it. I want to know for sure because I want to believe And Jesus so lovingly, he did not have to do this, so lovingly appeared to Thomas and said, here, look, touch, see, put your hand on my side. Do you believe now? Stop doubting and believe. And and Thomas said, yes, you are my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, good, good, good. But blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. And that's us. That's you, and that's me. Blessed are those who believe without having seen. I want to challenge every single one of you. The word of God has come to every single one of you. Now, not just about belief in God and belief in Jesus, but words have come into your life. Promises have come to you. Words have come to you prophetically in all sorts of ways. And you have to choose to believe. You have to jump. Even though there's uncertainty, even though there's room for doubt, you get to choose beyond just is there a God or is there Jesus or am I going to believe? But every word that comes to you, every promise that comes to you, you have to choose to believe. Blessed are they who believe even without seeing. Amen? One last scripture. Turn over to Mark 9. This is my favorite scripture. My favorite scripture. People of God, I wish, can I just be honest with you? I wish I could say, as your dear pastor's wife, that I never doubt, that I never wonder, 
that I never have uncertainty. I wish I could tell you that I was just this mighty woman of faith. But unfortunately, if that's what you're looking for, you might have to go to the next church. He's much more, you know, I mean, I, I struggle sometimes. I struggle sometimes. This scripture is what I stand on. This is a story about um, a young boy who is, uh, has an evil spirit, a demon, and his dad brings him to the, the disciples, and the disciples can't cast him out, and Jesus says, come, come to me, come to me. And he says, we're going to pick it up, um, uh, verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And he says, the father says, from childhood. It, it often throws, it often... It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is what I stand on. That is what I cry out on a daily basis. Father God, I believe everything that I can see to be certain, to know, and, to, and that I know to be true. But Father God, help my unbelief. That I might not doubt. That I might be counted as those who are blessed, who believe without seeing. I want to encourage my favorite people, the ones who come to church at New Horizon. God is God. He is real. He is real. He is so real. Yet we are dealing in a spiritual realm. That is not tangible, that we can't color him, we can't hold him necessarily in our hands, we can't taste him, teeth, you know, all of that kind of thing. But he is yet ever so real. I would say to you people, you beautiful people who have faith in him, to not allow the uncertainty and doubt to overshadow your belief, but instead use that to seek more truth and cry out to the Father, Father, I believe, help my unbelief so that I might become stronger and stronger and stronger in you. Amen? Amen. I will say it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that statement and that statement alone is life-altering, earth-shattering, mountain-moving purpose for you in your life. Amen? Amen. Belief. Let's all stand. I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you and we'll be done. I know I'm going way over. I'm so sorry. I hope you're all awake. I'm awake. This is, this is great. This is fantastic. I was worried. It's good. Hallelujah. I want to speak to your faith. I want to speak to the strength that you're standing on in your faith in Christ. That God exists and that he is a good God and that he loves you and he had a plan and a purpose for you. I want to speak to the fact that there are demonic voices that absolutely hate the fact that there is a God and that he is set to shake the faith of every saint that walks the planet. He hates your very soul and he wants to destroy your belief in God. I want you people 
to not be shaken. I want the people of New Horizon to understand what faith is, to understand what we know about God, and to have a firm foundation and a great uh, uh, just framework within your mind of understanding, of knowledge. But then to understand that even if you knew everything, there still would be possibly some uncertainty because that's the nature of this thing. But even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of not being able to hold God, to touch Him, to know that He is real and to know that doubt Doubt is something that God understands and he's there to meet. He's there to speak it, to it. He's there to, as Thomas, confirm the truth. But if that is going to be elusive to you and that you got to walk by faith in this thing, that you got to walk by faith, that you've got to just, you got to, you're not going to see. Sometimes we just don't see. But God calls you blessed to be able to walk through uncertainty and things like that and not have your faith shaken. I pray that you would join with me with that dad that says, Father God, my heart is stirred and it's moved towards you. I know you're real. I know you can do that. I believe, oh, Father God, help me in my unbelief that it will not steal my belief from me, but it will make me stronger in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God, I pray for my brother and my sister on my right and my left. Lord God, I thank you right now that their faith is strengthened, that their their belief is strong in Jesus' name, and that your Holy Spirit is here. Lord God, speak to them in the night hour. Comfort them. Strengthen their faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them God is real. Tell them in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You are blessed. Thank you for coming.